0: the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher.
1: Presbyterian Church Leadership of Canada recently set up a commission and named it the Rainbow Communion. The intent is to research the idea of having the church officially and publicly repent for what some called... It sins against the LGBTQ community. Now, to the average non-believer in Christ, this may not seem like a problem, but this is only true because people today are so used to seeing the LGBTQ community, the perverts, using the rainbow flag. But if you are a Christian, a regenerated person by God with faith in his word, The rainbow, you know, is a symbol that has been given to the people of God for thousands of years. The rainbow is not some arbitrary symbol chosen by church leaders to celebrate sexual diversity. The rainbow became a symbol because God flooded the world in order to rid it of the wickedness of man, whose thoughts were on evil continually. It is written in Genesis 9 that after flooding the world to cleanse it of this evil, the rainbow was decreed by God to be a symbol of a covenant between him and mankind and all living things that he would never again destroy the world by flood. And I think for the church of Jesus Christ, it is a mistake to surrender this symbol given by God to those who have vowed to destroy the church completely. Despite the clear teaching of the Bible, churches throughout time have tolerated and caved into sin, following a pattern like the congregation in Revelation 2 at the church of Thyatira, where the people of the church were engaged in both spiritual and physical adultery. Because of the insidious efforts of a false teacher, those sins were pervasive in the church. Now this letter from Christ to his church before us is a very strong text. It is a very sobering text. A strong passage and a warning to Christians who have become complacent in their faith and tolerant of sin in their lives. It is passages like this that are the very reason we teach here verse by verse from the word of God giving the full counsel of God's word avoiding the temptation to skip over the hard stuff the stuff that no one wants to talk about. No person of God, before we start, let me say this. No person of God in love with the Word of God should have a problem with Revelation 2 or the words that I'm about to speak. This was a far more serious situation at Thyatira because they had become tolerant of perversion. And large numbers of people in this church had caved and fallen into sin. This is the longest of the seven letters, but it's addressed to the church in the smallest of the seven cities. It is a very important message for the church today. False doctrine, doctrine that is not of God, doctrine that is not of his word, that is passed on between these churches and traditions and denominations and the sin that comes with it. It's not to be allowed in the church of Jesus Christ. Even under the banner of a false understanding of love, tolerance and unity this type of church today may look on the surface to have a very effective ministry to be growing in numbers they get along well with the community they're in the news a lot but the warning stands from scripture that immorality and false doctrine if not confronted will bring judgment from the lord of the church Christ calls the church in Thyatira and all those who bear his name to turn from their sin or face his judgment. It was just one person that was corrupting the church at Thyatira. But one person's all it takes. One person is all it takes to bring down a church. One lady armed with false doctrine, referring to herself as a prophetess, doing great damage to the ministry of Jesus Christ, leading the people astray. Now, the city of Thyatira was about 40 miles to the southeast of Pergamum. Thyatira was the place where three major highways came together to connect the cities of Pergamum, Smyrna, and Sardis. And at one time, this city had great, great military importance. When Alexander the Great died in 323 BC, his generals, if you remember history, his generals divided up his empire, and Thyatira was a part of the Seleucid Empire, the Seleucid Kingdom. And it was just meant back then to be a frontier town that guarded against the Pergamenes. Eventually, Thyatira became a part of the Roman province of Asia. So the military importance of this city was only a distant memory, but it was something that the people still remembered. It was one of those memories that was kind of held onto and cherished of days gone by. Even the coins in this city had a picture of the sun god Tyrimnus as a warrior riding forth into battle. He was shown with a double-edged battle axe, the symbol of smashing military power, and it's against this background that the Lord Jesus Christ introduces himself to the church as the son of God dressed for battle. And the promise to the overcomer reminds us of the very thing that the city of Thyatira had lost, which was the power over the nations. Their God dressed for battle was only a memory in their mythology, but the Lord Jesus Christ was a glorious, glorious reality. This was a wealthy city. Because of where it was located, it was a center for a lot of farming, but it also had around it a lot of raw materials for manufacturing. This was a center of trade. Thyrotyrus was famous for both their red and purple dye. Now the red dye, it came from the root of the plant known as the matter. And the purple dye came from the crushing of the shellfish, murex, that were in the Lycus River. Do you guys remember Lydia from the book of Acts? Acts 16 records this. It says, now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of where? Thyatira, who worshiped God. You see, because of the manufacturing of this city, Thyatira was home to a lot of the trade guilds. Now, in order to understand what these guys were, they were basically like the unions of today. This was a union town, and they had all sorts of types of workers there. They had people that made pots and people that dyed clothes and tanners and bakers and metal workers and textile makers and smiths, and slave dealers and leather workers, all sorts of stuff, and they all each individually all had their own trade guilds. And if you refused to join, it meant that you were not recognized as belonging to that particular trade, and it meant that it was not possible to get a job in that trade. See, these trade guilds were well organized and tightly controlled. The membership fees were high. The union dues, if you will, were high. And each of these trade guilds were linked to one of the different pagan gods. And their buildings where they would meet were dedicated to this God. All of their meetings would begin with the worship to this God. All of their events would either begin or end by drinking wine dedicated to the God. Even certain foods were dedicated to the God. The food that was served at these banquets was seen as a gift from their God, meaning that if you ate the food, you were taking part of the worship of this God. These feasts often ended with group immorality. You can catch the meaning, can't you? Group immorality. Sexual freedom was encouraged and sometimes even demanded as part of the worship of these gods. And if you wanted a job, if you wanted to be a part of that trade guild, you had to go. That was the deal. And so what you had was this constant conflict between the faithful followers of Jesus Christ and the powers of the trade guilds, the unions. This is the background behind the letter written to the church. So Christ begins this morning by telling us in verse 18, he says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Christ identifies himself and sets himself apart from all the gods in that day that were worshipped by these trade guilds. They worshipped the God of the sun in the sky. Don't miss that fact. They worship the God of the sun in the sky, but Christ reveals himself as the son of God. Now this is a clear reference to Psalm 2:7, which says, I will declare thee. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. See, Christ describes himself in revelation 2 as the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. This understanding of his eyes like a flame of fire, it helps us to understand that his eyes are penetrating. There's no hiding from Jesus Christ. He cannot be deceived. It reminds me a little bit of the farmer who is having problems with couples who are using his secluded private property down a gravel road to park, if you know what I'm saying. And none of his efforts to keep these romantic couples off of his land was working until he finally got to the point where he put up a lit up sign with a picture of a gigantic eye on it. And underneath was written the words, God, you see all that I do. From that point forward, his land was left alone. This is what the church of Thyatira needed to hear because the eyes like a flame of fire are able to penetrate the darkness of sin. See, we're learning here in scripture that Jesus Christ, he searches the hearts and the minds. There's no secret hidden sins. Hear me. There's no secret hidden sins from our Lord. He is the righteous judge who knows all things. They needed to be reminded of the deity of Christ. And I think the church does too. We really need that lesson. And this church also needed to be reminded that Christ knows all things. He's omniscient. He knew their sin and he knew the consequences of their sin. Now his feet like fine brass. What does that mean? Well, this pulls back from chapter one, verse 15, which reads that his feet were like a fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. Now, why is this important? Why is this mentioned in the text? Well, the fine brass was used to make weapons for the Roman legions in that day. And Thyatira was one of those cities that made some of those weapons. In other words, they would have understood the reference. And the idea given to us here is of purity and strength. And the picture that we are given of Christ is that his eyes are able to discern and his feet would trample every opposing force, crushing every wicked thing meaning that Jesus Christ is all powerful. He is omnipotent, which would be demonstrated to the church with how Christ would deal with Jezebel and her children. And so he continues in verse 19 by saying, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. The penetrating power of the eyes of Christ is seen here that Christ knew every activity of his church. There's a lesson that the church of Jesus Christ needs to take home today. The penetrating eyes of Christ means that Christ knows everything that goes on in his church. It's possible to translate this verse two different ways. That he knew their works, their love, service, their faith, and patience. Or more likely, the love, service, faith, and patience are meant to be a description of their works with the added thought that their works, the last, are more than the first. Meaning, instead of fading with time, instead of having a Christian walk that fades with time, their works were increasing, which was the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Now, the actual description of these works is in this order. Love, faith, service, and patience. And that should really make sense to us. That should make sense because when God works by his spirit and his word in the life of the believer, the result is love and faith. And as a believer in Jesus Christ continues to walk with the Lord, service and patience should follow love toward both God and man, love toward both God and man. That's the result of the indwelling ministry of the spirit of God. In this reference here, faith is the willingness to believe and therefore obey the word of God. Faith and love produce service. Service is looking out for the good of others. And when it comes to patience or endurance, faith that's based on the promises of the word of God would inspire their endurance during difficult times at Thyatira. Now, this church was growing in how they demonstrated their faith and love. That's a good thing. This church had love, but they had failed. They had failed in a key area. They had failed with doctrine and with how they were living out their faith. A pastor was out taking a walk one day and he noticed this young little boy attempting to reach up to a doorbell, to ring a doorbell on the porch of a house. But this boy was short and the doorbell was high up and he couldn't reach it. So the pastor went up there and he stepped up to the porch and rang the doorbell for the kid. And then the pastor looked at the kid and said, now what do we do next, young man? And the boy looked back at him and said, Well, now we, yeah, exactly. We run like crazy (laughs) because things are not always what they seem to be. And that was certainly true for the church at Thyatira. They looked like a growing church, but they needed to head in a different direction, which takes us to verse 20. Here's where the text starts to heat up. Watch this. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Verse 20 should not start out by saying, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. The Greek is much more blunt. Because there was really only one thing that Christ wanted to take up with this church. It should read, nevertheless, I have this against you. That's how it reads. Jesus Christ is saying, nevertheless, I have this against you. They were tolerating the woman Jezebel. And the point of rebuke is that this woman was allowed to continue to be in the church. And if she wouldn't repent, she should have been removed from the church. Now, verse 21, verse 22 and verse 23, those verses deal directly with her. But verse 20 is about the sin of the church in allowing this woman to be a part of the church. See, Christ was speaking of an actual woman in Thyatira probably a woman of intellect, probably a woman of some ability with a dominant personality. This was a woman who found that the role of women outlined in the word of God was too restrictive. So she disobeyed the word of God and became a teacher of men in the church. And to lend credibility to her cause, she claimed to be a prophetess. Maybe she even claimed that she was following the pattern of Philip's daughters in Acts 21. Christ labels her as Jezebel this was not her name but they all would have known who this was because the name that christ gives her is designed to show his judgment of her person and her influence just as we all know what is meant when we refer to judas in the new testament the same was true of jezebel in the old testament remember who this was from the old testament let's review jezebel was the daughter of efael the king of tyre in sidon this guy king of Tyre and Sidon had seized his throne by killing people. And that's also how he kept his throne by killing people. His daughter Jezebel had learned well from her father. First Kings 1631 teaches us that Ahab, the king of Israel took Jezebel as his wife and she brought murder and bloodshed into the nation of Israel. Now Baal worship was already taking place in Israel at that time. But what Jezebel did was combine the worship of Yahweh with the worship of Baal. She was also the one that introduced the worship of Astarte and all the immorality that came with it. She persecuted those who remained faithful to Yahweh. She had them put to death. And the judgment of God was that there would be three and a half years of famine because of this idolatry. Now, in 1 Kings 21, you get a better understanding of the type of the wickedness of Jezebel. In 1 Kings 21, we see corruption, false accusations and murder that was based on greed. This was the woman that put to death the prophets of Jesus Christ. 1 Kings 18 verse 4 teaches us, For so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hid them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. Do you start to see how wicked this woman was? And according to 1 Kings nineteen two, she sought to kill Elijah. She stands on the pages of scripture as a symbol of immorality and idolatry. Listen to the prophecy of Elijah about Jezebel in 1 Kings 21, verse 23. Where it says, and concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke saying, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And we see the fulfillment of this over in 2 Kings 9 where it writes, And he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. What does that mean? It means that no monument... Or no grave was ever to be raised to the memory of this wicked woman. And you can read about her end on your own in Second Kings 9. So looking back at the church of Thyatira, we know that an influential woman had this same impact on the church of Jesus Christ that Jezebel had on the nation of Israel in the past. This woman in Thyatira claimed to be a prophetess. The only person with this title in the New Testament is Anna in Luke 2, verse 36, whose gift was used for what? To point people to Jesus Christ. But Anna in Luke 2 would have belonged to the Old Testament prophets. This woman at Thyatira would have claimed to be a New Testament prophet. So like many of the charismatics today, she claimed that her words were inspired by God. Christ does not tell us that she was a prophetess. He doesn't say that. But instead, what does he tell the church? She calls herself. That's what she calls herself. Just like a lot of men today are running around calling themselves pastors. She was self-proclaimed like a lot of men today are self-proclaimed. She was both a false prophet and a false teacher. And this message reminds me of the teaching of 2 Peter 2, 1, which records... But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought you and bring on themselves swift destruction. This woman at Thyatira was claiming special revelation from God. When that happens, that's a dangerous road to be down. And what was so revolting to Jesus Christ, to our savior himself, was that this church was allowing it to go on just like churches today allow it to go on. This church had weak leadership. And we know that because Paul had already taught on this long before when he wrote in 1 Timothy 2, where he said, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. See, scripture teaches us that the headship of the man over the woman, this is grounded in the order of creation itself. This is a biblical principle that goes all the way back to creation. And the church at Thyatira or any church that allows a woman to teach or have authority over a man is violating the teaching of the apostles of Jesus Christ and is violating the teaching of Christ himself. So think of the sin. You have a woman teaching men. You have the men going along with it. And she was seducing the people of God to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. These were his people, his people. And the Lord did not take kindly to this woman being used by Satan to lead them astray. Remember these trade guilds, I brought them up in the beginning for a reason that their connection to idolatry and immorality Because the teaching of Jezebel was breaking down the separation between the lost and the people of God. And you can almost hear the argument. You can almost hear the rationalization that went on that since there's nothing in the idol itself, and because these gods that the people of Thyatira worshiped were not real, then these Christians should not hesitate to just belong to one of these trade guilds. They can get a good job, and after all, they could tithe on it. So what's not the like? See, it was tempting. It's always tempting to compromise, isn't it? And some were giving in, and the testimony for Jesus Christ was already in danger. So Christ says this in verse 21. He testifies, and I gave her time. This is God saying this about Jezebel. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Is God giving you time to repent this morning of something in your life? Christ had already warned Jezebel. Christ gave her time to repent, but she had refused. Certainly she was guilty of spiritual adultery, leading the Christians to take part in these pagan feasts and worship other gods, just as Jezebel in the Old Testament seduced Israel to worship Baal. But the wording used here strongly argues that Christ is telling us that this Jezebel was also guilty of physical sexual immorality. Verses 22 and 23. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. This Jezebel had led the church to imitate the immorality that was going on in the pagan temples. Indeed, Christ says, or behold in some of your translations, meaning every Christian reading this should stop and examine this closely. Christ was speaking of immediate action that he was about to take. And all the churches would know that the Lord Jesus Christ personally had intervened. Notice the wording, I will cast her into a sick bed. This woman had used her bed for pleasure and sin. This bed of immorality would become a bed of pain. And from this dying bed, she would witness the judgment of those who followed her into immorality. This is the second part of verse 22, where it says, And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Not just spiritual adultery, physical adultery taking place with Jezebel. They were part of the group that tolerated and encouraged adultery to take place. Those involved in adultery with this woman would be judged by the Lord unless they repented. And they would find themselves cast into great tribulation the reference here to great tribulation is without the definite article meaning this is not the great tribulation of the end times this was a time of great tribulation for those that did not repent a time of pain and a time of suffering verse 23 takes a lot of christians by surprise they think there's something wrong with their bible that they can't be reading this correctly because it's so strong Some people think that these were her spiritual children, those who followed her teaching. Others see this as literal children of Jezebel, possibly even born as a result of her idolatry and adultery. Think of David's son, born because of an adulterous relationship, and he died because of the sin of David. And we see this in Ahab in 2 Kings 10, that all his sons died. The context leads me to believe we're talking about spiritual children, her followers being killed, but either way, people were going to die because of this sin. Now, if you think that Jesus Christ is being cruel, then you need to understand a few things. You need to understand that sin leads to death and that Jesus Christ will absolutely purify his church even for a believer, you need to understand that sin has consequences. Yes, we have an eternal destiny reserved for us in heaven, but sin has consequences here and now. Some of you are playing with fire. And whether we walk with Jesus Christ or not, there will be a witness for Jesus Christ. There will be a witness of his power and there will be a witness of his sovereignty in all the churches, Jesus was saying, all the churches of the Roman province of Asia would tremble at this divine act of judgment. Don't think you can hide your sin from the church and that Jesus Christ doesn't know about it. He does know. I may not know. Other people here may not know. You can play Sunday morning Christian if you want. You can come a couple hours a month if you want, but Jesus Christ knows how you're living. Only the omniscient Son of God could search the minds and hearts. He knows our thoughts. More than that, He knows our motivations. He knows our motivations for why we do what we do. Jezebel and those who followed her could not hide from the Son of God. This should bring godly fear to every single heart. But it's not just a threat. There's also a reassuring promise to us all where Christ testifies, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. This is for every believer. This points to our personal responsibility before Christ and the reward we will get before him. Each person will receive from Christ what they have earned in judgment or in reward in the coming day. Christ was looking for the church to be separate from the teachings of Jezebel, and this would bring a proper reward From Jesus Christ. Verses 24 and 25 in your text. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. Notice the clear shift. The Lord at this point is only addressing those without the doctrines of Jezebel, those that were being faithful to Jesus Christ. This was the remnant in a church. There's always a remnant in a church. A majority of the people in the church that followed the doctrines of Jezebel, Christ was saying that he knew they were going to ignore his call to repent. But to that rest, to that small group, that remnant, to those that did not have this doctrine, notice how Christ describes this group as those who have not known the depths of Satan. Quite often the Cults will teach today that you must come to a deeper understanding. You must come to some special revelation. Christ shows us where this idea truly comes from. In verse 9, the church of Smyrna was dealing with the synagogue of Satan. In verse 13, the church at Pergamum was dealing with Satan's throne. At Thyatira, it was the corruption and contamination of the people of God that was destroying their testimony for Jesus Christ. Christ was demonstrating the danger that something as simple as going to one of these meals at the local trade guild or the local union, we would say it was opening them up to the power of Satan and to those that recognized this was the power of Satan at work to destroy their testimony for Christ to those that kept themselves free of this corruption. He has, he says, no other burden than to hold fast to their faith. To continue to reject the lies of Jezebel until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that this would be a great encouragement for the faithful believers in Christ. And knowing that even though the church was under attack, one day Christ himself would return for his people. So pick up the text, watch this beautiful ending to the text with verse 26 where it says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father and will give him the morning star. First John five says that the overcomer is the believer in Jesus Christ. The overcomer describes what every believer is expected to be and will be when faithful to Jesus Christ. The works of Christ are faithful obedience to him. The works belong to Christ, meaning that even in difficult times, You and I, as Christians, represent him. Obedience to Christ leads us to separating from the ungodly of the world. Obedience to Christ leads us to the very ministry of Christ. Until the end, he says. Until the end. This is the goal of our testimony. Until the end. A goal that is only realized when Jesus Christ arrives. To the overcomer, Christ promises, I will give power over the nation's This is the overcomer reigning with Christ in the messianic kingdom. The reward of being faithful to Christ will be to rule with Jesus Christ in the millennial reign. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. It is the kingdom of Christ that is in view in Revelation 2.27 with this reference to Psalm 2 verses 8 and 9. Listen to Psalm 2 speaking of the inheritance of the kingdom of Christ from the Father where it says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The smashing of the brittle clay vessels or the potter's vessel is a metaphor for the climax of human history. And the point is, the nations will be broken when Christ comes to establish his kingdom. Christ is going to smash the earthly kingdoms of men. The nations of men oppose Christ and they will be shattered when Christ sets up his kingdom. And speaking of this kingdom, notice this statement. He says, as I also have received from my father. The past tense refers to the legal right, the legal right to his kingdom that he's already received from his father. He hasn't taken possession of it yet, but he has received the legal right to it. And when Christ does take possession, he will deal with his enemies. He will establish his rule, and overcomers will share in his reign. And then, and then what? This beautiful promise to the overcomer with verse 28. And I will give him the morning star. I hope you see what's being talked about here. Revelation 22, verse 16 teaches, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. What does it say? I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus Christ is the bright and morning star. Here is what the Lord was teaching. A nickname for Venus that goes back thousands of years to the Greeks and the Egyptians is the morning star. You see, because of its orbit, Venus rises in the morning just a few hours before the sun. As the sun rises, the sky brightens and you can no longer see Venus. And when you see Venus rising in the sky, you can know that the sun is not too far behind. To this city, hear me, to this city that worshiped the God of the sun in the sky, Christ told the church that he is the morning star. That they could look ahead to the kingdom of God on earth. They could look ahead to reigning with Christ. And they could know it was near when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his church. Only his people would appreciate his return. The Lord coming to take away his church at the rapture. Just before the dawn breaks in the establishment of his kingdom. Looking for the return of Christ and living for his kingdom. Well, this would strengthen these precious believers in Christ in the church at Thyatira. So Christ ends his message to the church in verse 29 by saying again, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let me tell you briefly this morning about two women. I will not be sharing their actual names, but both of these ladies were married. Both of these ladies were cheating on their husbands. Both of them became pregnant with their lover's child. The child of the first lady died in her womb when she was eight months pregnant. The second lady, a pastor's wife, delivered her baby. But three days after giving birth, she became ill and stayed in the hospital for several months. And even when she came home, she was never the same, never the same, and unable to care for her children. Something happened to her mentally and physically. She would not bathe, she could not speak. She could not care for her children. She would just simply write numbers in words, in a notebook. Let's be clear about something. Not every sickness is because of the specific sin of the individual. But at the same time, some of it is. And I know that Christians don't like to think of this. But I also know that with these two ladies I'm talking about, God was merciful to both of them, giving them many, many, many years to repent And even though it's not our place to look at another person and blame their problems on their sin, I do know this. I know that Jesus said to the church at Thyatira about the woman called Jezebel. He said exactly this. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. As a pastor, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm getting old. I've been doing this for a long time and unfortunately, I have seen many cast into the bed of sickness or cast into troubles because of their sin. It's the very reason, as we started this morning, that God brought the flood in Genesis 6. God himself said back there in Genesis 6, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God's not going to be mocked, not by his creation. And even for the believer in Christ, remember this, that sin has a consequence in your life. Sex outside of marriage, men, let me say this, including pornography, it always hurts someone. It displeases God because it shows that we prefer to satisfy our desires our way instead of God's way. It hurts others because it violates the commitment so necessary to any relationship. Sexual immorality can destroy families, churches, friendships because it destroys the integrity on which these relationships are built. God wants us to protect us from hurting ourselves and from hurting others. And so we look at the church at Thyatira, learning a couple of things, a few things. Learning that big problems can happen in small churches. Satan knows exactly how to attack small churches. Second, we learn that bad teaching can come from very, very gifted people. I have no doubt that Jezebel at Thyatira was gifted. Maybe she was even wealthy. And it could be that the church didn't want to speak up because speaking out on immorality would mean losing her and all her followers. But success, it's not defined with gifted speakers and big numbers on a Sunday morning. It's found in being faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen? I have, in the last three years, had to take some difficult, several difficult stands against some troubled souls. And some of you have stood with me. And I could never be more grateful for that. This is where we stand in these last days, together, basing everything we do here on God's holy and perfect Word, always looking to that glorious day when God the Son, the morning star, returns for us.
0: Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com.